Bible Interact is a group of Bible scholars and biblical archaeologists who promote the Hebraic nature of Scripture and view the two Testaments as one unified message. They explain how they use a first-century approach to searching the Scriptures, and they share their methods and discoveries for discussion and dialogue. They invite your comments and participation on BibleInteract.tv, where you can also find more teachings, self-study quizzes, webinars, and interviews. Shalom. I am Dr. Ann Davis, and I have been addressing a very interesting question, who will be saved? I think a lot of the confusion about this matter of salvation, confusion relating to Israel, the salvation of the children of Israel, just who of the believers will be saved, are they really believing, that kind of thing. A lot of the confusion is related to something that I am suggesting, that there are two aspects of salvation. And I think in Christianity we tend to lose focus of the second aspect of salvation. We focus on the first one and not on the second one. The first aspect of salvation is to be saved from death to life. That's a promise of something future. The second aspect is to be saved, rescued, or delivered in your life now, in your daily walk now. I spent some time in the last session talking about the first aspect of salvation for the children of Israel because I think that is, is, is commonly misunderstood. I suggested something that I have concluded from my own work, but I cautioned you. Don't take what I say as truth. Don't take what anyone says as truth. You need to search the scriptures to see if those things are so as we read in Acts, you need to be able to go to Scripture and check it out for yourself. And as I mentioned last time, Bible Interact offers a program called First Century Methods of Searching the Scriptures. We believe that the methods of studying the Bible have grown over the last two centuries in a very Greek model. A Greek model that elevates mankind, not God and gives mankind the ability, or it, it claims that mankind has the ability to arrive at the truth, which is why Christianity has so many denominations. Each de denomination has a creed saying, this is the truth, and if you want to belong to us, you have to believe in this truth. The Hebraic way is very different. The Hebraic way is to stretch for the truth. The truth resides in God. We can never arrive there, but we can get closer and closer and closer and closer, which means that dialogue is very important in the first century Hebraic way of searching the scriptures and studying the scriptures. So don't just listen and take what I say for truth. You go to scripture and find it for yourself. But let me tell you what I, I suggested in the last session. I was talking about the salvation of the children of Israel and I suggested that the narrative, the, a narrative is a story. The story in Genesis and Exodus is prophetic. It is pointing to future things. And, and we can see that. It's very easy to see that because in 1 Corinthians we read, Christ, our Passover, has been sacrificed. So the Passover was pointing forward to Christ. So the story about the Passover is, in fact, prophetic. Now, the children of Israel uh, had that death passed over them at the time of the Passover. And, and at that time, God said, I am your father, you are my firstborn son. And by that declaration, the children of Israel belong to God. 
Now, I'm replacing being saved with belong to God. The children of Israel belong to God. He's their father. They're his firstborn son. The fact that they're his firstborn son gives them a special inheritance. All the children of God, all those who belong to God, will get an inheritance. Someday they will be in God's presence. They will uh, will, they will occupy the land, um, defeat the enemy. Uh, the land is their inheritance, and of course God is their inheritance. They will come before God without sin in righteousness. But all of the children, because they're God's firstborn son, all the children of Israel are born to this special inheritance called the birthright. Reuben, the firstborn son of Jacob, was born to the birthright, but it was removed from him for unworthy behavior, and God gave the birthright to Joseph. But we see in the blessings that Joseph gave his 12 sons that both Joseph and Judah have attributes of the birthright. So it looks like the line of Joseph, the line of Judah, are going to inherit that special inheritance of the birthright. Now, just because Judah, uh, just because Reuben lost the birthright doesn't mean he no longer belongs to God. He belongs to God, and he's going to inherit. He's just not going to inherit the birthright. Now, those children of Israel, Israel, who are in, who are worthy to inherit the birthright, are called a remnant because they're a small number and they have a role to play. Now, I, I, you know, I I dispute this common theological understanding that only those Jews who believe in Christ will be saved. I think all Jews belong to God, um, and the. The first aspect of salvation is being saved from death to life. It's a promise of something future. And we see in both the New Testament, Paul, and in the Hebrew Scriptures, Isaiah, this understanding that all Israel will be saved. Paul declares that in Romans 11.26. Now, there's a lot of theological discussion about just what it means. But I think if you work the citation that follows, the citation from Ezekiel, I think Paul says all Israel will be saved, and he means all the children of Israel will ultimately be saved. And Isaiah also says in Isaiah 41, verses 8 and 9, and this is God speaking to Israel, You, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, descendant of Abraham, my friend, I have chosen you and not rejected you. So we we start with this understanding that the first aspect of life, which is the promise of being with God at some time in the future, is given to all the children of Israel. When will that happen? Sometime in the future. (laughs) I think it's going to happen after the Millennial Kingdom. I think the Millennial Kingdom is for the remnant, and it is a preparation of the remnant for a battle that will follow. Now, I want to go into the first aspect of salvation for Gentile believers in Christ. You think, oh, you know that. The church teaches that. That's all they teach. You know, believe and be saved. And so why do we have to address it? Well, let me give you some perspectives that maybe you've thought about, maybe you haven't thought about. If the first Passover in Egypt is is prophetic of what comes, we have to take a look at the first Passover and relate it to, to Christ. All right, what's the first Passover? The first Passover in Egypt, God said, take a lamb from each household. You shall kill it at twilight. Well, I find that significant. Twilight is right before the beginning of a new day. And um, and this is all before the beginning of a new new life. And then it says, take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts. That would be the, the posts on the sides of the doors and on the lintel of the houses. And that's on the the top of the door, 
uh, in which they eat. Now, that means that you have to pass through the doorway. And when you pass through the doorway, you are under the blood of the Lamb. That is the first aspect of salvation. Now, part of the Passover is going to lead you to the second aspect of salvation, which I will only tickle your curiosity now. We'll do more with that in a bit. But then God goes on to say, roast the lamb. You sacrifice the lamb, then you roast it. You eat the flesh that night roasted with fire. Now, what you're doing when you're eating the flesh is that you are strengthening yourself to be able to walk in God's ways. That's really the second aspect of salvation. Uh, God rescues us from the pain and suffering and bondage of the world to a new life. It's a process. It has nothing to do with who will be saved and who will not be saved. It's a process that we live in our lives today if we belong to God. Now let me keep going with the first aspect of salvation and I want to direct my attention now to believers in Christ. We read, for example, in the Gospel of John, this is the will of my Father, this is Yeshua talking, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him, now we have, we've got everyone, we have two things, see the Son, behold a see, to see, to see Christ, to see Jesus, to see Yeshua, not physically see, but, but going beyond physical, to something deeper to see the Son and believe in the Son will have eternal life. And that's that's that first aspect of salvation. It has the promise of being with God at some time in the future, which means you belong to God now. If you've got the promise, you belong to God now. And then it goes, and I myself will raise him up on the last day. So again, that's the promise toward the future, that you that on the last day you will be raised to new life if you see the Son and believe in him. So that's on the last day. It's a promise, right? Now, um, all righty, what I want to do now is, is I want to take, I want to just reinforce this concept that God is not a respecter of persons. That's the way it says in James Version, which I first learned. The um, other versions tend to say, God shows no partiality. And in other words, he's going to treat believers in Christ, exactly the same way he treats Israel. So if he has dumped the children of Israel out because they don't believe in the Messiah, then those who say they believe in the Messiah, maybe they're going to get dumped out. That's not true because God is, is, is not, does not show partiality. All right, it, it starts right in Deuteronomy. Bingo, you've got it right in the Torah. The Lord your God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who does not show partiality. And and it is picked up and repeated. I found it four times in the New Testament. I found it in Acts 10.34. I found it in Romans 2.11. I found it in Galatians 2.6. And in Ephesians 6.9, God is no respecter of persons. God does not show partiality. He is treating Gentile believers exactly the way he was treating Israel. And if you don't know how he's treating Israel, you don't know how he's treating you. All right? Now, we're working on this first aspect of salvation for, for believers in Christ. What I want to show you now is that this first aspect of salvation does not refer to Jewish believers. It refers to Gentile believers. 
because by their faith in Christ, the Gentiles, who had not formerly belonged to God, now belong to God by their faith in Christ. They now belong to God. They now have the first aspect of salvation. They now have the promise of eternal life at some time in the future. Jewish believers, when they come to Christ, they already belong to God, but what they get is the gift of the Holy Spirit, which enables them to walk in the ways of God. Gentile believers then get two things. They get admission into the household of God, together with the the Jews, and they get the gift of the Holy Spirit, which allows them to walk in the ways of God. Jews who believe in Christ already are in the household of God, they receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, which allows them to walk in the ways of God. Now, let me show this to you. I have to show it to you from Scripture. You remember that Peter had an extraordinary uh, experience and vision in the house of Cornelius. And he saw this unclean food coming down in a white cloth to signify that it was clean. Now, this is talking about Gentiles that the Jews had considered to be unclean. They were unholy. They did not belong to God. They worshipped pagans. Uh, They did not worship the God of Israel. They were unclean. They were unholy. Now we read in Acts chapter 10, verse 15, what God has cleansed no longer consider unholy. Well, who did God cleanse? God cleansed the Gentiles who believed in his son and who now belong to God. They now belong to him. So you Jews, don't be considering them unholy, even if they're not eating kosher food, you know, even if they're not, you know, studying the law. Don't consider them as unholy because God has cleansed them. And uh, this gets into the um, Hebraic sense of time, which we'll have to take up at a later time. But let me read you now from Acts chapter 10. Uh, Peter responds, you know, when he, after he has this vision, Peter says, Oh, I most uncertain, I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality. He's not treating the Jews differently. But in every nation, out of every people on the face of the earth, The man who fears God and does what is right is welcome to God. So Peter has recognized now that these Gentiles are now, you you almost see God's arms folding around these Gentiles who had before been outside the pale of God. And now God is bringing them into his household and into his loving arms. Now, let me show you this. All right. This is the Hebraic sense of time. The minute you believe, number one, you belong to God, you have the promise of future eternal life with God, and number two, God sees you as righteous. Then he pats you on the behind and he says, now walk in righteousness. I've given you the law to Israel and to you Gentile believers. Now you have the gift of the Holy Spirit to guide you. I've given you the the Holy Spirit. Now walk in that righteousness. And at some time in the future, I will complete the righteousness in you and make you completely righteous. But in the beginning, when you first belong to God, God sees you as righteous. Let me read this to you from from Paul in, in his letter to the Galatians. 
he starts out and he says, Scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. Now, Scripture tells us that God would justify the Gentiles. He, he, would, he would bring the Gentiles into his community, and he does that in, um, in uh, Genesis 12, 3, that all the nations will be blessed through Abraham. But he does not say by faith. Nowhere in the Hebrew Scriptures can you find that God will justify the Gentiles by faith. You can't find it. Justify means to be made righteous, by the way. So what Paul is doing is he's using this halakhic midrash to draw out of Scripture this new understanding that God has fulfilled his promise. He said he would bless the Gentiles through Abraham, and he's fulfilled his promise. And how did he do it? He did it by faith, by their believing in his son. The halakhic midrash takes two verses that are legally and conceptually similar, it, it does an analogy, a relationship between them, and it draws a conclusion. Let me show you the two verses, and then I'm, the most important thing is for you to see the conclusion. But you can't just take the conclusion out of thin air. You have to realize that it's, it's the conclusion to a halakhic argument. In the first verse, all the nations will be blessed in you, Abraham. And the second is, um, Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. So out of these two similar verses, Paul is doing halakhic midrash, which I'm not going to explain. I'm simply going to say that he uses these two verses to do an analogy, to see the relationship between them, and he draws a conclusion, and this is what I want you to hear. Are you ready? The conclusion is, he draws two conclusions from the midrash. This is the first conclusion. So that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. If you are not a Jew, if you're a Gentile, God promised way back in Genesis chapter 12 that he was going to bless you, but it didn't happen until Christ came. And when Christ came, it was possible for you Gentiles, Gentiles simply means someone who's not a Jew, you Gentiles, to come into God's family. That's what Paul is saying here in his Halakhic Midrash. And it's very important, I think, that we understand this. It's not just that you have to believe in Jesus to be saved. The, the, the point here is that God is opening his arms and welcoming all non-Jews if they believe in his Son. And he's welcoming them in with his arms together with Israel, who belong to him. He's their father, they're his firstborn son. The distinction now between the children of Israel and uh, believers in Christ is that unless children of Israel believe in Christ, they don't have the gift of the Holy Spirit. If you're a Gentile believer in Christ, you have the gift of the Holy Spirit. And that's going to be part of the second aspect of salvation. I want to keep going with this first aspect of salvation because I just think it's um, it, it's so misunderstood. <laughs> and I don't want it to be misunderstood. I want you to see that there are two aspects of salvation, and I don't want you to get confused between the two, and I don't want you to to see verses that are really talking about one aspect and, and, and you're thinking it's the other aspect. Again, Christianity tends to lump everything into the first aspect of salvation. If you believe in Jesus, you will be saved. They tend to lump everything in that, but it's only the first aspect of salvation. Um, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. It's a certainty. Um, the 
what follows in the second aspect is your ability to walk by the Holy Spirit, to walk in that salvation. And then we also see at the end of times a distinction in who's going to get what inheritance, um, which I'll conclude with that inheritance. For right now, let's look at Paul's Halakhic Midrash again. You remember I said that he had two conclusions from the Midrash, and I want to just read you the second conclusion. The first conclusion is that God has fulfilled his promise to bless the Gentiles, and he's done it by their faith in Christ. That's the first conclusion. That's the, that's the first aspect of salvation. The second conclusion is this, so that we, now when he says we, he's referring to the believers in Galatia who are both Jews and Gentiles. We, all those of us, whether we're Jew or a Gentile, all those of us who have believed in Yeshua might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. So there are two conclusions. Number one, the Gentiles have been added to to God's community. They now belong to God by their faith in Christ. And number two, regardless of whether a person is a Jew or Gentile, that person, by their faith in Christ, has received this, the uh, promise of the Spirit. And we'll, we'll take a look and see just exactly what the promise of the Spirit is because, again, we want to be walking in the greatest power possible by operating the gift of the Holy Spirit. But we'll do that in another session. Right now, I want to take a look at the Hebraic sense of time because you can see the two aspects of salvation in the Hebraic sense of time. The Greek sense of time is points on a line. If it happened in the past, it's over, it's done with. Maybe I can read a history book about it or somebody who was there can tell me about it, but it's done, it's over, it's done. The future hasn't happened yet. I can only access it by my imagination. The only real time is now. Hebraic sense of time is very different because God is perceived as creating time, he's in time, and he's infinite. So he's in all aspects of time. So, God sees you as righteous when you first believe in him. And we read, uh, I think it was Peter saying that. Let's see if I can pick this up. Um, No, I I haven't done it. Let me go right. It's in Romans. Romans chapter 5, verse 9. Having now been justified by his blood. Justified is to be made righteous. If you're made righteous, you have no sin. God sees you as righteous without sin. Having now been been justified. It's already done. You've It's been done. God has done it. He's made you righteous by the blood of Christ. And, and knowing this, we shall be saved, future, from the wrath of God through him. So in the Hebraic sense of time, you have been made righteous. You will be made righteous at some time in the future. But now you are in the process of being made righteous. So being made righteous means you're saved. (laughs) Because there's no sin. If you're righteous, there's no sin. If you have no sin, there's no death. That means you're saved. So God sees you as righteous, so you are saved when you first believe in his son. You are saved. He's made you righteous. You are saved. At some time in the future, you will be made righteous. You will be saved at some time in the future. But now, we are saved by promise, so we need to walk in that. We need to believe it and walk in it. We are saved by promise. He has made us righteous. There's righteousness in us And all we have to do is to walk in the righteousness. When we walk in the righteousness, we are 
being made new. We're, we're, we're uh, being made from, from a dying person to a living person, uh, to a person who is no longer walking in death but walking in life. So I'm going to read you, I'm going to end with one last verse from Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6. God being rich in mercy because of his great love which he loved us. And that's powerful. Stop and think how God, how much God loves you. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, our sins. We were. We were dead. God made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved. So you you have that promise of life, which is future. You have the ability to walk in it, which is now. You have been made alive. And God raised us up with Yeshua and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ. It hasn't happened yet, but it will happen and we can live in it. It's, it's the Hebraic sense of time. We can live in it. With that, I say, Shalom. And I'll address this question some more in the next session.